In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. In May of 1990, I graduated from seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. In celebration, my older brother, my significantly older brother, Steve, gave me a trip. Steve, who was in Colorado Springs at the time, and I traveled to Portland, Oregon to visit our cousin Joe, who is like a second brother to me. We spent time in the woods, time at the beach, time in Portland's rose gardens. We went whitewater rafting, we watched movies, and we visited Stonehenge. Not the Stonehenge on the Salisbury Plain in England, but the recreation of Stonehenge, a full-scale replica of it at the Mary Hill Art Museum in Klickitat County, Washington. The Stonehenge at Mary Hill was the first World War I memorial in the United States. It was built in 1918 before the war was even over. Mary Hill Stonehenge was built to commemorate the sacrifice of 14 men from Klickitat County, soldiers, Marines, and sailors who died in World War I. Exactly 100 years ago today, November 11, 1918, at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, the Great War, as it was called then, came to a stop. It was an armistice, literally a laying down of arms. It was not a peace. It was a cessation of fighting, and we all know there's a difference. Essentially, it was a surrender by Germany, and as the French leader Marshal Foch presciently predicted, it was a suspension of war that would last at most 20 years. The issues and conflicts that led to the Great War's beginning in the midst of 1914 and to its raging for the next four and a half years had not really even been addressed, much less resolved. Yet, those four and a half years resulted in over 35 million casualties, including 16 and a half million deaths, 9.7 million military deaths on all sides, and 6.8 million civilian deaths on all sides. The United States entered the Great War in April 1917, almost three years after it had begun. Over 4.3 million U.S. personnel were deployed in the Great War. 116,516 of them were killed, including those 14 from Klickitat County, Washington. Over 204,000 more U.S. personnel were wounded. The 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. The 11th day of the 11th month. St. Martin's Day. That's today. It was fitting that the fighting ceased on St. Martin's Day. 
For November 11th has long been a pivotal day in the seasonal life of Europe and nowhere more so than in Germany. November 11th marks the end of the commemorations of all the saints and all the faithful departed that begin on November 1st and 2nd. St. Martin's Day also traditionally marked the end of the agricultural year and the beginning of the harvest. In much of Europe, up through the Middle Ages, November 11th marked the beginning of St. Martin's Lent, a long, ascetic, and penitential observance of Advent, starting two or three weeks ahead of when we now began that season. Even today, St. Martin's Day is among the very most popular saints' days in Europe. And who was St. Martin? Martin was the son of an officer in the Roman army. He was born in the year 316 or 317 in a small town in what is now Hungary. He was named for Mars, the Roman god of war. Because his father was an army officer, he was both expected and required to become one as well. Soldiering was a family business, and he didn't have any choice about it, really. However, before his army career began, his interest in Christianity had been sparked, and so he became a soldier at 15, as scheduled, but he was already a catechumen, studying and preparing for baptism, much to his parents' chagrin. The most famous story about Martin is from this time before his baptism. Perhaps you've heard it. He encountered a beggar on a cold winter's night. Martin took his sword and cut into his cloak, standard issue for Roman officers, a white cloak lined with lambskin. He gave half of the cloak to the beggar. That night he dreamed that Jesus, wearing that half a cloak, was in conversations with the angels and said, look there, that's Martin. Though he is only a catechumen, he has clothed me with his own cloak. Though he did not in fact beat his sword into a plowshare, Martin models for us how implements of war can be put to new uses. Because he was an officer, Martin was assigned a slave to assist him with various chores. As he sought to follow Jesus, Martin became convinced that slavery was wrong. So he would serve his slave in a variety of ways rather than be served by him. And when others would comment on this, Martin would reply that he saw no reason why he should not serve as well as be served. He subverted the system in a variety of ways while embedded within it. And Martin shows us a mode of critique from within, of bearing witness from inside the dominant paradigm, from within the institutions and systems in which we find ourselves entangled. Though some historians and biographers have stumbled over these next facts, it appears that Martin fulfilled the requirement of 25 years of military service. After he was baptized, he continued to serve in the army. He was in the Imperial Guard and as such was a non-combatant. 
The work of the Imperial Guard was to secure military posts, maintain public order, escort prisoners and dignitaries, and other such duties. As Martin's 25 years of service were drawing to a close, Caesar Julian began stepping up efforts to push back the barbarian hordes, pushing back against incursions into the northern frontiers of the Roman Empire. To encourage soldiers to engage these battles vigorously, Caesar Julian was giving out bonuses. Martin knew his conscience would not allow him to fight, so he decided this was a good moment to put in for his discharge. He said to Caesar, I have been your soldier up till now. Now let me be God's soldier. Please give your bonus to someone who will fight and not to me. Caesar was outraged and called Martin a big fat coward. Martin was only more committed to his position. I am not afraid, he said. If you won't release me, I will go out tomorrow unarmed and stand between us and them. But I will not fight. I will cross the enemy's lines unscathed, protected by the cross rather than a shield and helmet. Caesar Julian believed Martin when he said he would not fight and threw him in prison to spend the night. The next morning, envoys from the enemy came, requesting terms of peace. So Martin did not fight and was discharged after 25 years' service. He was 40 years old, and he began the next season of service in his life. Martin is the patron saint of soldiers and veterans, and in his, this willingness to bear witness to war as a non-combatant, as a person who would go unarmed and stand between, we see that he is the patron of chaplains as well. Like other saints who were soldiers, including Francis of Assisi, Ignatius of Loyola, and dozens of others, and like Thousands of other veterans across the ages and decades, including those in our diocese and those here this morning. Martin continued to serve as a veteran. As a veteran, like other veterans, he was well-trained to focus on the mission at hand. Martin's next season of service involved being ordained a priest and later bishop and founding and leading a monastic community. As bishop, even though a monastic, he traveled all over the geographic bounds of his diocese in France, preferring encountering people where they were in the midst of their life and work, even more than encountering them inside the walls of church buildings. The chaplaincy of St. Martin of Tours continued into, through, and throughout his episcopacy the 11th day of the 11th month. Beginning November 11th, 1919, we in the United States observed Armistice Day, and it was made a legal holiday in 1938. In 1954, following the sacrifices of U.S. personnel in World War II in the Korean conflict, Armistice Day was renamed Veterans Day, a day set aside to honor the service and sacrifice of all veterans. On Memorial Day, we commemorate those who sacrificed their lives. On Veterans Day, we commemorate other kinds of sacrifice 
On this day, we express our thanks to veterans. Not in a glib expression of, thank you for your service. Not in a breezy, easy expression of patriotism that doesn't cost us anything. Not in a celebration of nationalism. And not in a glorification of militarism. Not in any of those, but rather, we express our thanks in a recognition of sacrifice which is distinctively and nearly inescapably a religious term and category. Sacrifice. The giving up of something valued for the sake of something else regarded as even more important, more worthy. Service members give up lots of things of value for things understood to be of greater value. They are not all motivated by the same things or for the same reasons, but they all give something up. Comfort, choices, personal safety, personal preferences about many things. They give up some things for some other things understood to be of greater value. Today's lectionary readings also draw our attention to sacrifice. Ruth sacrificed her homeland and her home culture to move into an uncertain future with Naomi. In today's first reading, we see that giving those things up led to a new family and a new hope for both her and Naomi in the birth of a baby declared to be Naomi's restorer of life and nourisher of old age. The reading from Hebrews recalls Christ's sacrifice of Christ's own self for us. And the gospel from Mark lifts up the sacrifice of a widow in the temple, a manifestation of giving, of a full offering up that Jesus finds exemplary. Ruth's sacrifice pays off dividends in the long run. Christ's sacrifice continues to give us life. But we don't know how the widow's sacrifice in Mark turns out. Only that Jesus commends her for it. For sacrifice, though often undertaken in faith, is not undertaken without risk. Some veterans who sacrificed much come home. Some with visible wounds. Some with invisible wounds. Moral injuries. Most of them transition successfully back to civilian life and find a new mission. But an average of 22 veterans a day, 22 every day in our country, die by their own hand. 22 a day. And we know that statistic is underreported. In this category, this religious category of sacrifice. Do you find a connection today? Is the spirit stirring something in you, something you will risk giving up for something even greater? Are you being called into a new season of service yourself through Episcopal Veterans Fellowship or some other ministry with, to, by, for veterans? or their children, or active duty personnel, or folks experiencing homelessness 
a disproportionate number of whom are veterans? Is sacrifice making some new sense? Taking some new shape? When the Mary Hill Stonehenge was built, it was thought that the original Stonehenge had possibly been a place of ritual sacrifice. Mary Hill Art Museum founder Samuel Hill in 1918 asked, what is war but the sacrifice of our sons? As a native of Quickitat County, Washington, he saw what the Great War had cost his home county in those 14 particular lives. And from this came the idea for the recreation of Stonehenge there. When I visited that Stonehenge replica, that first in our country World War I memorial, with my brother Steve and cousin Joe, I thought about sacrifice. The Vietnam War divided our family. Joe could not see his way clear to becoming a combatant in Vietnam. He thought of going to Canada. Facing the disapproval and disdain of our elders, and with his own internal objection to that war, and with his draft date looming, he joined the Coast Guard. Steve, my brother, knew his draft number was about to come up, and he joined the Navy so that at least he had the choice of his branch of service. He became a corpsman and was embedded with the Marines on the front lines in Vietnam. He was wounded twice in four months. After Vietnam, Joe went back to school and became a psychologist. He became a consultant to families in business, assisting them in dealing with and working to resolve divisive issues that often lead to the dissolution of family businesses. After Vietnam, Steve went back to school and became a physician. He taught in two medical schools and was briefly in private practice. He came to understand medicine as his vocation while in rehab in a Navy hospital in Pensacola after receiving his second Purple Heart. The sacrifices of my brother and my cousin were real. Their seasons of service have continued as veterans. On that day at the Mary Hill Stonehenge, we stood at the altar dedicated there on July 4, 1918. Steve, the eldest, in the middle, I on his right, Joe on his left. We opened a bottle of our favorite champagne and poured it into camping cups, lifted them, and raised a solemn toast to the dead of World War I, grateful for their sacrifice, and grateful also for the blessings of our continuing life together, for new callings and meaningful work, for milestones reached, for life on the other side of death. This morning, this Eucharist, once again we will offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And as we enter that liminal space, that place between heaven and earth, between life and death, offering ourselves, our souls and bodies, may we be bold to risk something valued for something even greater. May we lift up our hearts and then lace up our boots. Amen. <laughs>